good to be back with you again and to um, uh, start off this uh, series for me, uh, continuing the series for you in Romans and carrying it through to, uh, to the end. It's a, it's a great book and it's um, been very refreshing getting back into chapter 12 and to uh, look at the, uh, at the themes of chapter 12. There's just so much there. So I hope you've got the, uh, the, the time today. I'm, I'm okay until 3 o'clock this afternoon. So it's <laughs> You know, um, our, our Western world uh, tends to be um, hooked into uh, what some would call a rampant individualism. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of debate uh, between individualism on the one hand and community on the other hand. Uh, some people argue that the individual is all important. Uh, that uh, um, that what God does for me is all important, that uh, uh, my needs are all important and uh, it, it's my feelings, my emotions and so forth. And this can lead to a rampant individualism which, which can be very dangerous and can certainly affect uh, community. And as I said, Western civilization seems to be characterised by the supremacy of the individual and much of our life, uh, from voting patterns, the things that cause us to vote for one person or another, uh, through to uh, consumerism, what we buy uh, to pleasure ourselves, through to a, a preoccupation with my rights and, 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 and what I need to get done, uh, seem to result from this trend of uh, rampant individualism. Um, and certainly the psychologising of life over the, the 20th century and now into the 21st century uh, buys right into this, uh, this idea of the individual as all important. And uh, Western Christianity and the Western Church has certainly not been immune to the problems of individualism. And so to try to counter that, others put up a, a kind of communalism, not a communism, but a communalism, that the community is all important. Uh, others argue that this is the valid alternative uh, but, uh, but an emphasis on the community can have its own problems. Uh, questions arise uh, like are the needs of the individual always to be subjected uh, to the needs of the community? Uh, do my rights always have to take a back seat to everybody else's rights and needs? And so on, those types of questions are asked uh, when, when people emphasise uh, the idea of a communalism and so uh, what, what's the answer to how we should live our lives as God's people uh, in this present time? I, I think that the Bible uh, draws uh, a middle line and I think that the Bible talks about the importance of being an individual in community, an individual in community. The Bible seems to stress this position as being a position that we should live out in our daily lives. The individual is important. What God does in our lives as individuals is certainly important. But I should always be mindful of my responsibility as a member of the various communities that I'm a part of. Uh, the family, my responsibility within the family. Uh, the church, the neighbourhood, the global community and all of the communities in between. And so it talks about, yes, the individual is important, uh, but I'm an individual in community, mindful of 
my responsibility. It's a responsibility model to live out what God is doing in my life for the sake of the people around me. And I think that this is how a healthy community works. I think this is how it works out in practice. And Romans 12 seems to me to address the question uh, with themes that can be applied to various contexts such as the gathered church, what we're like when we're together as God's people in this sort of setting. The scattered church, what we're like as God's people as we move out into the world in our everyday lives. And in fact, the world itself, the global community itself. I think Romans 12 addresses uh, the questions of what is it like? What are the responsibilities I have as an individual in these communities, in the family, in the church? and the communities of which I'm a part of every day. So let's have a a, a brief look and a quick overview uh, at the themes uh, that Paul addresses here in Romans chapter 12 and then let's uh, think about their application in the various uh, contexts of our daily lives. It starts out, uh, Paul starts out by saying uh, you, you need to be aware of the mercies of God. Therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy and then he goes on. The idea uh, that he's got here is that everything that he's been talking about in the first 11 chapters he's now summarising as the mercies of God. And now he begins this section and I feel so privileged to have this section as as my responsibility to help us to reflect on it because this is the practical application. The, the, The remaining chapters of Romans are the practical outworking of the grand theology that he, that Paul has been presenting in the first 11 chapters. And he comes to this point and he says, therefore, it's a linking word, on the basis of all of what we've been saying in the first 11 chapters, therefore, This is how you should live. On the basis of all that we've been reflecting on, this grand theology, it has a practical outcome. Uh, Paul was a very practical theologian. He he was never uh, an academic theologian removed from the realities of life. He's a grand theologian. He, he, He deals with the grandest of themes and probably the first 11 chapters of Romans are are the epitome, I, I would think, of that theology. But he always comes to a point of saying, therefore, Ephesians is another clear example. The grand theology of Ephesians 1 to 3 and and chapter 4 verse 1, he says, therefore, I urge you brothers. And that's exactly what he is saying here as well. He's summarising it as God's mercy. And it's interesting that he's saying all of the way that you live, all of what you live out is a response to understanding the mercy. And by the way, that word could be translated as compassion, the compassion that God has for us. It's a response, all of what we're called to be as individuals in community is a response to understanding the mercy and the grace of God and we submit ourselves to that transforming work of God because God is so merciful. It's not because of guilt, it's not because of shame, it's not because of the fear or the feeling that I have to earn or keep my salvation by doing good things. It's none of those things that motivate us to the things to, to, to be the people that Paul is calling us to be. It's a recognition, it's a deep recognition of the mercy of God. God has been so kind to me. 
I have to respond. (laughs) I am compelled to respond. God has been so gracious to me. He's been so merciful to me. All these grand themes of of the first 11 chapters, they're so incredible and I recognise how incredible they are. This is the mercy of God so my response is to live in this sort of way. Not because I feel guilty or shameful or I'm afraid of God's wrath if I don't live in this way but instead because I recognise the mercy of God. A realisation of God's incredible grace at work in my life the calling to become holy. This, this chapter uh, says uh, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. Uh, to, be, to be holy as, as far as the Bible is concerned is simply to be everything that we were created to be. Uh, the, the, the word um, is, is certainly to be like God and we were created in the image of God. And so the calling uh, to be like God Uh, to be everything that God has created us to be, is to be pleasing to God. And so the rest of the chapter really spells out what such holiness will actually look like. Holiness is not an otherworldly thing, you know. Uh, Too holy, uh, the uh, the saying that somebody is too holy to be any good on this earth is is, is total uh, misunderstanding of what holiness is all about. Holiness is not being removed from the world. Holiness is being everything that we are created to be immersed into the world to make a difference. And that's what this chapter deals with. And so in verses 2 and 3, we see the calling to be an individual that is being transformed by God. Uh, First of all, Paul says, I don't want you to be conformed, but I want you to be transformed. This is the process that will take place. It involves my action and it involves God's action. My action is (laughs) non-conformity. My action is to refuse to conform to the shaping that this world tends uh, to be involved in, the shaping of who I am. No, I'm not going to conform to that because it takes me away from what I've been created to be. Uh, I, I want to instead submit myself to God for his transforming work within me. Where do my values come from? Where do my priorities come from? Where do my beliefs come from? What determines my behaviour in any given situation? Not the, 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 the shape that the world might have for me, uh, not, not, not what's passed on to me through the media or, or, or through, even through the educational system where it's opposed to what God is saying but instead I want to submit myself to the transforming work that God is going to be doing in my life. Transformation. And so my role in this is to refuse to conform and to agree to submit to God and to his transforming work. God's action then takes over. When I'm submitted to him, when I give myself to him, for that work, God's action can take over and he begins to transform. That's what it says there. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now the word translated renewing means being made new from above. It's not just a simple renewing of the mind from any uh, sort of process that is limited to this world but it's actually uh, a, a, an act of God. It's actually something that is being made new from above. 
and the newness is in the way that we think. My mind will be completely changed for the better. That's what the word means, to be completely changed for the better. In other words, the filter that all things come through is a mind that is being renewed by God's transforming action. Be renewed by the transforming work of God. Now we see here therefore that holiness is is not a list of external rules as much as it is a new way of thinking. Uh, What God is calling us to as his people in community is not to have this list of rules that we can tick every day that we've done but instead he is calling us to a transformed way of thinking. Our thinking is going to be different and that's what he means by the renewing of the mind. We are enabled to see things differently and to make wise decisions. You'll notice that Paul talks here of testing and approving what God's will is. That's all about making wise decisions. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said we're in the world but we're not of it. We're in the world but we think differently. We think differently. Our values and our priorities are different because we're seeking to know what is God's will here? What is God saying about this? Uh, What is God's view on this? What's his perspective? And so our thinking is being renewed. This is what biblical wisdom is all about. And so as individuals we are called to be people who think differently, people who see things differently, people who analyse, who think it through, people who respond differently because we have renewed minds and they are continuing to be renewed. The other thing that we're called to as individuals is humility and this comes up in verse 3. For by the grace given me I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgement in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given to you. Humility is the key to living the balance of valuing who I am and what I can do on the one hand and the problem of pride which causes me to consider myself as better than everyone else. I'll say that again. Humility is the key to living the balance of valuing who I am and what I can do on the one hand because that's important. God wants us to value who we are. Uh, God wants us to value what we can do. And so that's important. But on the other hand, there's this problem of pride, of thinking that I've got to be better than everybody else. And, and, and the idea of humility is recognising this is who I am and this is what I can do, but thank God for that and I recognise that, that doesn't, I don't have to be better than anybody else. You see, not valuing who I am and what I can do is a problem in community, but so is pride. Humility is the answer. And humility is characterised here by sober judgement. Paul says, think of yourselves with sober judgement. In other words, with a sound mind. Thinking properly. Not thinking in a distorted manner, but thinking properly. And this is a product of the renewed mind in application to thinking about myself. And so the first the first thing that that Paul deals with as far as the renewed mind is concerned, how do we apply it, is to ourselves. He says, have your thinking renewed, now use that thinking, that renewed thinking, in thinking about who you are with sober judgement, with sound mind. 
So what does this transformation look like as I live live it out in the community for the benefit of the community? be it a community of faith or a community in the world of my everyday life. What does it look like as I live this transformed life out with a, with a new way of thinking and a humility that recognises who I am and what I can do but I'm not proud of it, I don't have a problem of pride. What does that look like in community? Because as I said, God calls us to be individuals, yes, all the importance of who we are individually and what God is doing in our lives individually is, is pretty high. But we are individuals in community. And what does that mean? How does it work out? And that's the question he answers in the rest of the chapter, verses 4 all the way through to verse 21. Living in recognition that I'm a part of a community of people and that I belong and that this brings corporate responsibility is a part of what God calls us to. Notice in verse 5 it says, In Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We who are in Christ, yeah, we're all individuals but we belong to each other. We need to look after each other. We need to look out for each other. I don't come into a community and say, Hey, I'm really important. I'm the all important thing here and you're here to meet my needs. We all belong to one another. There's a commonality there and that's what Paul says there. In Christ, we who are many, many individuals, form one body and each member, each, each individual belongs to all the others. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this body analogy very well, talks about it at length. Here he's just addressing it in passing, the idea that we're all individual members but the one body and we have responsibility for one another. Uh, living in recognition of this of, of diversity, that we're all different, is a very healthy thing. And he addresses this uh, in uh, verses 4 and verse 6 following. Uh, the idea, I'm different to you and that's okay, and in fact it's actually good, is a part of what it is to be an individual in community. I'm to use my difference for the benefit of the community as a service to the community. I don't have to become like you. I'm, I'm me, you're you, but we're all part of the one body. To fit and to belong, I don't have to become like you and you don't have to become like me. We all belong in our diversity. We all belong to one another. That's the idea of being individuals in community. And this sort of thing will be characterised by a whole lot of stuff. He goes on and he lists a whole lot of stuff. Generosity. An attitude of, what more can I do for you? Joyfulness. An attitude of, I'm glad to be giving myself for the community. And we see Paul is saying in uh, verse 12 that that's coupled with hope uh, and patience and faithfulness in prayer. All that comes out in verse 12. Uh, will mean as individuals in community as we're living for, as God's people it will mean that we've got right relationships that our relationships with each other are characterised by love now the word translated love here is the Greek word agape which is the unconditional giving of myself for the other's benefit and this will be characterised by sincerity not hypocrisy this is all coming out in these verses here 
Your love will be sincere, not, not hypocritical. It will be fair income. It won't be a sham. It won't be a put on. But it will be something that is an unconditional giving of myself for the other's benefit, individual in community. It will be something that hates evil. I won't put up with evil. I'll confront evil. I'll challenge evil. I'll choose to not dwell upon the evil. I'll refuse to gossip about the evil. Individual in community. A clinging to what is good. Affirming that which is good. Talking it up. Causing our minds to dwell upon that which is good rather than evil. Philippians 4.8 addresses that issue as well. These right relationships will be characterised by a devotion to one another. So he's even going further here, being devoted to one another in community, honouring one another above yourselves. Now this needs to be coupled with what he's already said about sober judgement. Think properly about yourself and then treat others as better than you. (laughs) Think properly about yourself so you can have a pretty high regard for who you are and for what you can do as long as you honour people as even higher than that. Honouring one another above yourselves. Sharing with people in need. Hospitality, empathy, rejoicing with those who rejoice, mourning with those who mourn. Harmony, including peacefulness. Now notice in verse 18 he says, as far as it depends upon you. See, a lot of these things, as individuals in community... Uh, They're taken out of our hands because of the way other people respond and the way other people react. But as far as it depends upon you, may there be harmony, may there be peace. Don't you be the cause of disharmony or any of the other negative things that Paul is talking about. Our relationships will be uh, characterised by a non-revengefulness, he talks about here. Doing good to people who mistreat you, trusting God to do what he must do. And as we've gone through those verses, you would have noticed that all of these things that we're called to be and to do are with all different sorts of people. Because he talks about people who are in need be this way to people who are in need. People who are rejoicing, people who are mourning. He even talks about people who are persecuting you be this way to them. Maybe in our context it's people who are giving us a hard time and be this way to them. He talks about people of low position and he uses the terms everybody and everyone. So this is not a selectiveness. We can't choose the other individuals in our communities. And we are called to be these sort of transformed people in the communities in which we belong, no matter where they are with all the people who are in them. And then in verse 11 he says, never be lacking in zeal. Don't ever give up on all of this. It's hard yakka. This is a calling to be different. This is a calling that is, is, is really going to stretch you at times, but don't ever give up. Don't lose the zeal. The word that's translated zeal means earnestness in accomplishing, promoting or striving after the goal. Earnestness in accomplishing, promoting or striving after the goal. Don't lose your zeal, it says. And then verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
I think that I think that's his summary statement of the chapter. Whatever you do, don't be overcome by evil. And evil here in this context is the sorts of things that would oppose what we've been called to. But instead overcome that with good. You see, this is the only way the community of faith will become characterised by this level of health. That we as individuals act responsibly in community. This is God's plan for these communal characteristics to be shop-fronted to the world, a taste of heaven, the community that God desires on earth. So how does all that apply? It's a lot there. It's a lot there. In fact, I reckon we could toss away the rest of Scripture and just say, all right, let's for the rest of of our life here on earth concentrate on Romans 12. If we can get that right, uh, we'll be doing pretty well. I heard of one preacher in South America who um, got up in in, uh, uh, the pulpit one Sunday and he said, brothers and sisters, love one another. And he sat down and that was it. The next week he got up and he got up behind the pulpit and he said, brothers and sisters, love one another. That was it. He sat down. Now, the story goes, I don't know how true this is, but it's a pretty good story. He got up and, uh, and, and he said the third time, and, and somebody said, how come you're doing this? You know? And he said, well, when we get this one right, I'll go on to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Romans 12 is just so filled with, with incredible challenges, I reckon. So how does all this apply? Well, it applies to the gathered church. It applies to us as we gather together as a community of faith. This is how we are to treat one another when we gather together as God's people. This is how we as a community of faith need to be known in the world. Can you imagine the difference? Can you imagine how the church uh, would, would be uh, uh, seen as, as uh, different, seen differently to what it's seen today if this is what was being shot fronted you know, across the media, for instance? You may say, I'm a dreamer but I'm not the only one. (laughs) This is God's desire uh, for his family's public image. This is God's desire for his family's public image. It applies to the scattered church and the scattered church is us as believers as we scatter out into our everyday world where we are 95% of the time. This is how we as members of God's alternative community are to behave in our daily lives within the communities in which we live and work and play. We struggle with that most of the time, don't we? And in fact, I think it has application to the world itself. I don't think that this is just a blueprint for a healthy church. I think it's also a blueprint for a healthy society. I think this is the calling Uh, that God gives to the world in which we live. I think this is God's vision for a transformed world that he told us to pray for. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The sorts of things that we've read here in Romans 12 are the sorts of things that are applauded not only in the church but in the world because this is right. This is right living when we live responsibly. 
the sorts of things that are seen as evil, even in the media today, are the sorts of things that are opposed to this, when people don't care for each other, when people pass by somebody who's in need, when people don't act responsibly. This is seen as stuff that is, is evil. It might not be called that, but it's not seen as healthy for society. The sort of characteristics that we've been talking about here are seen as healthy. This is what the world is calling out for. I believe that God has called us to be like this in the church so that we can model and say, yes, this is what life was meant to be. This is what community was meant to be. And then as the world catches on to this, as our communities in the world catch on to this, maybe taking only baby steps, we can applaud that and we can see that we live in a more healthy society. In conclusion, uh, there's a couple of things that need to be said. Uh, The first thing is that this is not a call to be doormats. This is not a call uh, to be... uh, Uh, overridden by everybody else Jesus is the best example of this life and he was no doormat follow him follow his example Um, the, the, the second thing that in conclusion that I want to say is that the motivation for this life is not success uh it's it's not seeing change it's not feelings of satisfaction it's a recognition of the mercy of God to me That's the motivation. That brings us right back to verse 1. I'm motivated to this, not because I'm seeing change or because I'm I'm feeling good about this, but it's just simply in view of God's mercy, we live this way. And the last thing that I want to say in conclusion is that a good commitment coming out of a passage like this, I mean, this is overwhelming, isn't it, this stuff? (laughs) And uh, we, there are different responses to being overwhelmed, but the usual response is just to put it aside, it's a bit too difficult. I think a good commitment coming out of a passage like this is to reflect on some of these things and to affirm myself uh, in the areas I'm doing okay. Because there are areas here that each one of us would be, hey, you know, God's been at work there and I'm doing okay in that and I'm very thankful for that and to go through and to challenge myself to growth in the areas here where I need some growth, where I need to deal with some things and maybe make myself accountable to somebody else to say, hey, you know, how's it going in that area? And all the way through to be very thankful for God's mercy through it all. Let's pray. Dear God, we do thank you for the... uh, for the amazing practicality of your word uh, for how uh, some grand theology comes right down to making decisions about how we live and how we treat one another we thank you for this uh, great chapter but at the same time we recognise that there's some tough stuff here to live and I pray that uh, for each one of us uh, we would have your help to recognise where we're doing pretty well and where we need some help and that you'll give that to us In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.